After her report ran, her news editor said to her, Waymeyer, how come would I send you out to get a story? You always keep coming back with God. And Peggy Waymeyer replied to him, how come you keep missing him? This is Culture at a Crossroads with David Mann. Welcome to the show that explores the intersection of faith and culture in Canada. With me from the Winnipeg Free Press, we have John Longhurst, longtime faith columnist. John, thanks for making this time. Thank you for asking. John, you've been a Winnipegite for a long time now. What would be the biggest selling feature to live in the city that you reside in? Uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers beating the Hamilton Tiger Cats on a regular basis to win the Great Cup. Would that count? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful city. It's a great prairie city, a lot of heart, a lot of uh, soul. From a um, religion reporting perspective, it's the only city with a newspaper that has a religion beat left in Canada. And that's uh, really interesting. We want to kind of dive into that. When would the last newspaper have had a religion beat still in Canada? How long has this been? Probably a decade ago or so. Canada had a lot, had, had a really robust group of faith and religion reporters, people like Tom Harper, Bob Harvey, Harvey Shepard, um, Doug Todd, Gord Legg, uh, papers right across the country all had a faith page and regular faith reporting. It, it, was, it, was, it was brilliant and wonderful, and these, these individuals did a really, really good job. But uh, when people ask me, so what happened to all of that? Uh, the answer is simple. Um, newspaper circulation has been declining for some time, and so has advertising um, revenue. It's been declining, particularly since the uh, 2008-09 recession. But when newspapers started struggling, they began to cut their soft, what they called their soft beats, and religion was considered a soft beat. So when people retired, they just weren't replaced, or uh, the beat was closed and reporters were put, up, were put on general assignment because there was so much else to cover. And it just sort of disappeared. Uh, The one newspaper in Canada that never got rid of its faith page was the Winnipeg Free Press. It's it's had its faith page, well, as long as I've been here and continues to do so. And what's the reasoning for that? Why has the Winnipeg Free Press sort of risen above the rest in this regard? It's because editors know that people of faith care about what happens in their community. They're avid readers, research has shown that uh, the more religious someone is, the more they pay attention to the news. That's partly due to a few factors, but one of which is simple enough, which is if you if you go to worship services regularly, um, one thing you're going to hear at church or any other kind of faith group you go to would be the prayers of the people or sharing about the world. And so you're going to be more and more aware of what's happening in the world, needs, disasters, hunger, famine, whatever. And uh, you'll just be more interested in learning about that from your local media as well. So the editor has known that, one. And two, they also know that faith groups play a very, very important role in um, the community in terms of its um, work with the homeless, work with the vulnerable, work with the marginalized, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so he knows, and he said this to me and he said it to others, that you can't tell the story of Winnipeg without also telling the story of people of faith in Winnipeg, that uh, the faith community is an intrinsic part of what makes Winnipeg a great place to live. And can you uh, just speak to what transpired with this project that you guys have 
launched at the Winnipeg Free Press that includes even more coverage of, of faith stories? Sure, I'd be glad to. So um, in 2018, the editor wrote an, an editorial note where he said that uh, the Free Press in the future wanted to engage and connect better with the community. Um, newspapers have been going through a bit of a life crisis. All media have. Um, there was a time when, um, when they were making money hand over fist and they didn't really care what people thought. But uh, when that dried up, they realized that, that uh, the source of their livelihood was circulation and that they really needed readers to feel that the uh, newspaper, in this case, was serving them the best it could. So after he published that, I went to the editor and the publisher. Bob Cox is the publisher and Paul Simin is the editor. And I said, well, if you really, really want to engage the community of Winnipeg, there is a community within Winnipeg that doesn't feel very engaged. It feels overlooked a lot. And that's the faith community. It's very large. It's very robust. It's active. But they don't feel that the free press represents them as well as it could. And Paul and Bob said to me, well, we'd love to, but we don't have any money. And I told them, well, what if I go out and raise it? And that started the project. And Bob Cox, the publisher, and I went out. We did a dog and pony show for uh, almost a year where we visited faith groups across the city and said if they would put up dollars to uh, help support a faith beat, the newspaper would increase its faith coverage. And they did. Um, about 15 groups signed on uh, early and uh, initially, and we have now have 25 different faith groups and organizations and schools that support the uh, project. And that, that enables myself and another freelance reporter to write stories every week about faith in our city and province and across Canada. And, uh, and we um, do on average about 20 faith articles a month in the, in the newspaper. I can just give you a couple of stats, for example. So last year, um, 257 articles about faith were published by the Winnipeg Free Press, and we've done almost 800 articles about faith since the project began in 2019. I should add that in addition to the dollars supplied by these different faith groups, I mean right across the faith spectrum, we also do a crowdfunder now. We launched the first one last fall. And we did our spring fund uh, crowdfunder campaign um, this spring, and each time we do that, we raise between another ten and twelve thousand dollars from readers who send in their donations and five dollars, ten dollars, twenty-five dollars, fifty dollars to uh, help continue to support this project to provide for us to freelancers as we report about faith in our community. And what sort of response are you seeing from Winnipeg since this started beyond just those that are funding this? The editor at first um, was was careful to watch, to wondering what kind of reaction they would get from readers. You know, would they get a lot of um, blasts from people saying, why are you giving so much attention to religion? We don't want religion in our newspaper. But it didn't happen. It just did not happen. Nobody complained about the uh, amount of faith coverage increase in the Winnipeg Free Press. Uh, if anything, they received complimentary and grateful um acknowledgements saying thank you for covering this thank you for attending our event thank you for paying attention to this subject or talking about our fundraiser or whatever else that we're doing for wherever we're doing it um it's it's been very positive the reaction has been positive it's been positive in the faith community as well 
they feel engaged. They feel noticed. They feel like the paper is paying attention to them. And I should say that it's not like the Winnipeg Free Press or any other media outlet in Canada hasn't been paying attention to religion. They have. But if you were apt to see a religion story in the media, any media in Canada, you were probably going to see something about religious violence or scandal, sexual misconduct, something bad, something terrible, something awful that was connected to religion. Because there's an old adage in the um, news business that bad news travels further and faster than good news, and good news needs a push. Hmm. Would you say the Winnipeg Free Press didn't have that sort of balance prior to this project? Yes, I, I would say they were doing much, much better than other media because they continued with their faith page. But you were not going to find those stories in the uh, business section or the arts and life section or the city section or the front section of the newspaper. You'd only find them on Saturday on the faith page. And the way this particular project works is the stories that I write together with the other freelancer who's also writing religious stories or faith stories. They can appear anywhere all throughout the paper. And um, it's it's just news. It's not, hey, look at this. This is a faith story. It's this is this is news in our community, and we think you should be aware of it. We've been on the front page. We've been on, you know, all through the newspaper. You're going to be opening your paper and finding a story about faith um, and what people of faith are doing in our community. John, you mentioned uh, you and this one other primary freelancer, but from what I understand, this project enables you guys to hire other writers from time to time as well. And has this helped mobilize some of these faith groups that are directly supporting you? Like, have you found some talent from them? That was our hope originally, but actually it didn't turn out that way. It, it, news writing is a, uh, is a skill and a craft, and there aren't that many people who are available and, and up to doing it. That's okay. We're keeping our eyes open. There have been others who have written stories. And um, in fact, during the pandemic, uh, we created a, a section online just for submissions. Uh, there was just so much news about what faith groups were doing during the pandemic that we, we couldn't barely contain it all. So we put out a call to clergy and other leaders in the faith community saying, if you have an interesting perspective to share on the pandemic, send it to us. We edited it and then we put it up online. So I don't know, we'd probably get two, three, four submissions a month from people just writing theologically or personally about what was happening in their communities, what was happening in their own personal life, a, a way just to reflect religiously on, on the pandemic. You know, back it's hard now to remember back to 2020 when nobody knew what was going on and what this new virus was and how it was impacting us and everything was closing. And so we invited people to share. And that was a very fruitful um, uh, thing that happened doing that. Mm -hmm, I can imagine. John, what advantages do you see of having this faith coverage injected into a paper with such an established audience like the free press as opposed to starting a, a fringe media where you might cater directly towards a faith-based audience, but at the same time you're not intersecting with the rest of Canada? A one-word answer, eyeballs, right? Um, now, 
the free press or any newspaper in Canada is not like it used to be. They're greatly diminished in terms of their size. But still, the newspaper, the Winnipeg Free Press, has, has greater reach than virtually any other media outlet in our city. And, and every day, you know, 70 to 100,000 people get a newspaper. And so when they open it up or they go online, they will be finding stories, and that will include face stories. Now, I could start a blog or, or something else and hope that maybe 10, 20, 30, or if I'm really lucky, a couple hundred people might notice it. But uh, they will have to be people that want to go there. Uh, this way, everybody gets an opportunity to see what, what the sick community is doing when they, um, when they hold a special uh, lunch for the homeless downtown together with Siloam Mission or what the Jewish community is doing in terms of responding to an anti-Semitic act or, or whatever. It's going to be right there in front of them. They can choose to read it or not, obviously. But it's, it's in the marketplace of ideas. Um, it's, it's where people are. It's not out there somewhere where you have to make a special trip to go and see it if you want. Everybody has access to this information. Do you think this could become a model for other newspapers or other media in Canada as this continues to roll out at the Free Press? Oh, I hope so. And it's been written about nationally. Um, and, and I've had people from other cities um, express their interest in it to me. It takes a special kind of person, entrepreneurial, visionary, and um, who isn't afraid of fundraising, which is always a, uh, a bit of a killer right there, who also knows how to report and write because it's, it's, it's a bunch of different skill sets all put together. And so I've had lots of people say, boy, we should have that in Toronto, or we should have that in Saskatoon, or we should have that wherever. But uh, so far, I haven't found anyone who is uh, interested in, in giving it a go. And, and to be fair, uh, it's not easy. The one special advantage with the Winnipeg Free Press is that the Winnipeg Free Press is an independent publication. It's not owned by a chain. There's no uh, hedge fund that's... Um, that, uh, taking the profits out and um, sharing copy across the country and cutting back the newsroom. So I had it a lot easier here. I don't know how easy it would be if you were uh, trying to approach a member of the chain. But uh, it, it's worked in Winnipeg. I believe it could work in other places. I have a sneaking suspicion that this is the future of the media anyway. If people listening are familiar with National Public Radio in the United States, which is member-supported, I think a lot of media is going to be that way in the future. Younger people won't subscribe to get a product, a newspaper online or in, in paper form. But I think people might be convinced to say, I believe a robust newspaper or other kind of media outlet is vital to a healthy community. And so I will give you $100 to make sure it exists. And that's, that's where I think the media is headed, a membership model. Not there yet, but uh, this is pioneering that kind of way. Uh, John, you said earlier about management for the free press, this independent management, recognizing the vital role of faith in community. And I just wanted to just back up a little bit and get you to share on your conviction for seeing this as a journalist on the ground, how faith and religion is so woven into the stories and the people that you encounter. Well, I have a story to share just in that way. Um, so in 1998, I organized Canada's first um, 
National Faith and Media Conference in Ottawa at Carleton University Journalism School. And one of our keynote presenters was Peggy Waymeyer. She was at that time the uh, religion reporter for ABC World News Tonight. And she told a story that that, uh, has stayed with me that when she was a reporter at a Dallas TV station, Dallas, Texas, she went to cover a story about a couple who had lost their son in a tragic accident. And when she was in their house, she noticed an open Bible on their coffee table. So she asked them what that meant to them at that time. And it opened a door to a really meaningful and, and deep conversation about faith in the face of tragedy. And after her report ran, her news editor said to her, Waymire, how come would I send you out to get a story? You always keep coming back with God. And Peggy Waymire replied to him, how come you keep missing him? And that's something that has stayed with me since I heard Peggy share that story a long time ago. Not every story has a religious angle, but more than you might think really do. And you can't really, for example, understand the current state of Indigenous and non-Indigenous relations in this country without thinking about residential, church-run residential schools and generations of evangelism by churches and in, in Indigenous communities. You, you simply can't understand or report about that story without considering that. You can't properly report about the freedom convoys in this country in February without including the role evangelical Christianity played for some of the leaders and supporters. You may remember the Jericho March around the parliament building and the signs, you know, talking about God and Jesus and anti-mask and anti-vaccines. Well, you gotta, you gotta figure those things out. Similarly, um, you can't understand the anti-vaccine and anti-mask mandate protests in, in some churches that are understanding something that they believe about end times and mark of the beast and stuff like that. You need to have some understanding of their religious convictions to understand why they felt so strongly about those things. And just at a bigger scale, you can't understand the war between Russia and Ukraine without considering the role that Patriarch Kirill of the Russian Orthodox Church plays in bolstering Putin's war and Putin's quest for a holy Roman Empire, and then also the long-standing animosity between the Russian and Ukrainian Orthodox churches that's woven into this conflict. And so until you start, once you start pulling at the pieces, you discover many religious threads. Some reporters will just ignore them, and a few of us will pull on them to see what's there. That's fair. Well put. Someone could play devil's advocate and, you know, upon you mentioning those stories, they could say, well, oh, the religious angle and all those things is negative. Why, why bother going there? How would you respond to that? Well, if you see a picture um, at an anti-vaccine or anti-mask freedom convoy protest linking God and, and no masks, your first question should be, what's the connection? Your second thought should be, I'm going to go talk to that guy and find out what the connection is. Now, when someone says, oh, yeah, well, that's just the left-leaning media attacking the Freedom Convoy, I would reply, I just let this person tell his story. I didn't, I'm not, I'm not a columnist. I'm not an opinion writer. I just said, what's the connection? And let that person say what they believe their connection is. That's, that's just letting them say their piece. And that's all it is. So I wouldn't see it as left or right. It would simply be explained to me how these two things go together and then let the reader decide what they think about that. And that's good journalism. And I want to just wrap up on 
your journalism and your career. Uh, upon reflection at this stage for John Longhurst, have there been any rules of the game for you when it comes to writing an article, interviewing a, a subject, and conveying the news to Winnipeg and the country at large? Well, yes, there's a couple things. Um, so I have spoken and mentored some would-be journalists, younger people in, in over my career. And one of the one of the things I tell them straight away, when it comes to an interview, an interview is not a conversation. The first rule of an interview is shut up. <laughs> Ask your question and then shut up. You're doing a good job of this, by the way, David. Too often people think it's a conversation. It's not. Nobody's there to hear what you think. They're there to hear what the person you're interviewing thinks. So just be quiet. Just listen, take notes, record, whatever you do. But, but let them speak. Don't interrupt. That's the first thing. The second thing I always tell them, too, is that I can teach you to be a writer or a reporter, but I can't teach you to be curious. And the one thing I've discovered that separates great journalists from good or average journalists is curiosity. If you go, don't go through the world and look at something and say, hmm, why did he say that? Or how did that happen? Or what's the connection? You won't be a great journalist because great journalists are always attuned to those kinds of things. It's like they have an antenna up and they're always listening for a radio signal that passes along something that makes them go, hmm. And that's the best thing about doing good journalism. It's just paying attention and asking questions and wondering why, and then finding people who can, can tell you something about that and satisfy your curiosity. So I get to, I'm also a columnist at the newspaper, and I get to explore some fascinating, interesting, wonderful, and sometimes weird topics because I just phoned someone up and said, can you explain this to me? Because I don't know. And it, I developed some great columns out of just being curious. Mm. Well, that's a great way to, to put it and an outlook that we should all have as Christians too. I think we all need to be investigative in the way that we meander through the waters of this world as followers of, of Jesus Christ. John Longhurst, really appreciate you taking this time and enlightening us on an important topic and some exciting events that are taking place at the Free Press. Thank you. Thank you for letting me talk about the project. And um, if there are readers out there who wish they had more and better coverage of faith in their own media, whether that's TV, radio, or newspapers, write a letter, send an email. When I speak about faith in the media to groups, I almost always ask for a show of hands, how many people are dissatisfied with religious coverage in their media? And almost everybody puts up their hands. Wow. And then I ask, how many of you have sent a letter to the editor or contacted the editor or the news director to tell them that? Almost nobody puts up their hands. Well, we can only report or do what we hear about. And so if you care about it, let people know. Let them know you expect better. And if you want to circle back at anything more that John said, including the Religion in the News Project, you can head to the show notes, or, of course, you can read his writing online at the Winnipeg Free Press. Next time on Culture at a Crossroads. Bill C-11 has caused quite a stir in Canada. The online streaming bill would regulate online content to ensure that, like with traditional media, a certain percentage is from home. According to Ottawa University law professor and writer Michael Geist, 
There are other factors promoting Canadian talent that are outside of what's commonly known as CanCon. It's been a real success story. I think that's driven less by CanCon rules. In fact, I don't think CanCon rules have very much to do with it at all, and more about the talent that exists in the country, the tax credit system that's available federally and provincially, uh, and the, simply the competitiveness, sometimes the Canadian dollar. Thanks for listening today. A reminder that you can access any of our episodes when you head to the Culture at a Crossroads podcast. We do invite you back next week as we once again explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada, helping to better equip you in following Jesus. Jesus.